This is the Horse Radio Network. This week on Hillstown Happy Hour, we're talking about boots that prevent raisin foot syndrome, the Central Park Horse Show dressage drama, which hot pirate is selling his horse farm, and also we break down all the opinions surrounding Katie Prudence's bold opinion on the current state of show jumping. This week's podcast is brought to you by the fearful, talentless amateur. From Heels Down Magazine, a podcast where three horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to, to Happy Hour! I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Caroline Colbertson. And welcome to episode six of Heels Down Happy Hour. This episode is presented by EcoGold, a leader in saddle pad innovation. Known for their non-slip, shock-absorbing saddle pads, half pads, and protective horse boots, trusted by Olympians. So, Caroline, what are you drinking? So, tonight, um, I'm classing it up a little bit. My drink does not come from a can. uh, And it's in this cute little mason jar. um, And it's really super tasty. I have a classic gin and tonic, um, but I use Tanqueray for the gin. And... Tanqueray tastes a little bit different than um, some of, you know, like the Plymouth gin or some of the other types of gin. Um, it's just got a little bit of a different flavor. If you've never had it, it's delicious. I highly recommend it. Uh, I typically drink my gin and tonics with Tanqueray because I just prefer the taste. And I found this recipe on foodnetwork.com because I had to look up. I wasn't sure how much gin you put in and like how what the ratio of gin to tonic water was so i looked up this recipe and apparently one of the cool tricks that you can do which i didn't know was you can freeze tonic water into ice cubes which and then you just you drop them into the gin and a little bit of tonic water and then as you drink it your drink doesn't get diluted it just tastes more like tonic water the entire time which i thought was like genius I never thought of that before. Yeah, Um, that's awesome. And uh, you can garnish it with a little lime wedge. Um, I just used some lime juice. Uh, If I'm being super honest, I used not fresh lime juice. It's like the kind that comes in the little plastic lime that you buy at the grocery store um, because I'm not very fancy. And then I just used the, Mm. is it Schweppes? Schweppes? Who knows, really, that brand of tonic water. Um, And uh, I did not stir mine because I didn't want to dirty a spoon, which is the laziest thing (laughs) on the planet. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We're a little short on spoons in this house, okay? So So did you just, like, swish it around at least? Um, I kind of like took my like finger and like finger? played yeah. with the ice cubes to make it kind of mix. So I'm really Hopefully thinking I'm going to have like, first. yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm going to have a real surprise when I get to the bottom of this, of this <laughs> gin and tonic and it's going to be straight gin. So if at some point this podcast like takes a real downhill turn, it's probably because I've hit the layer of gin at the bottom of my drink. <laughs> But it's tasty, and we will post that drink recipe on um, from thefoodnetwork.com. We'll post that in the show notes. So in other news, Jess, what do you got? So pretty big news. The CDI that was supposed to happen at Central Park on Saturday the 23rd is now being canceled due to a bunch of people withdrawing or cancellations or horses not coming from Europe. 
So now, exciting news, Central Park is going to host arena eventing on that Saturday night. So they've got, they're working on the format, but there is now arena eventing coming to New York City. So interesting. To me, okay, because there's two parts of this that I find interesting. First of all, let's talk about why they canceled the dressage. So the CDI um, that was supposed to take place on Saturday, there was, you know, that's a very big event. And Isabel Worth was going to come. And like, it was just a very highly anticipated um, event. And now it, they're not holding the dressage at all just because some of those high profile riders weren't able to make it right. Or am I wrong? I mean, I think that's what our understanding is, is that basically they couldn't get, they'd sold all these tickets and tables for the people to come. It's like having, I guess like your big performer come and then, you know, the first, the main act of the show doesn't come. So they, I don't know if there was just, enough Americans and Europeans that couldn't come. But honestly, the vendors got phone calls and said, we want to do a eventing arena eventing in the middle of New York city at central park. Can you guys come on Saturday? We're no longer hosting the CDI. So there's so you and Doug are making that trip, right? So we are making that trip. So, um, thankfully the logistics are all, sort of panning out because we go to Blenheim and then we're going to Central Park. But in between, we also have a jumper show in Kentucky. So oh my God, holy moly, <laughs> you guys are like super busy. Oh my God. How do you we're do like, it? <laughs> uh, lots of people. <laughs> lots yeah, of people. really. And you, and the horse is being flown there just for this arena eventing just for so, the one class. Like that's pretty incredible. Well, ours is, so we're not using the same horse that goes to Blenheim because he'll actually have a break. So he is flying back the horse. This is why logistics and thankfully for good shippers. And we love like horse flight saves our behind way too many times when I call and I'm like, okay, I have a new problem. I have to get a different horse in this situation. And they're like, okay, we've got it handled. So the horse from England flies back and is going to be in quarantine on that Saturday and then will be held in Gladstone. And we, they've horse flight is actually shipping up another one of our horses that's from Aiken to Central Park. Cause I guess there's, you can't ship into Central Park, which makes sense. Like they don't want a million truck and trailers in the middle of New right, York. That seems impossible. I mean, I mean, I've been to Central Park and I don't know how that would work. So. I'm not sure. I mean, it would be a cluster. So they actually hire like an official shipper and they keep the horses at the team in Gladstone. So, yes. So we have a horse shipped there. And then the four, there's like the jumper um, championship, young jumper championships in Kentucky that week. So we're finished on that Saturday morning. So Doug's like, oh, we can totally do that. Like we're done on Saturday. So we have people staying with the horses in Kentucky, you know, our main groom's flying back. We have people staying with like each and every horse. And then our main groom's going to basically drive up to central park and with the horse that's getting shipped from Aiken, um, to Gladstone. And then, yeah, basically like, um, (laughs) I mean, $50,000 though, like $50,000 must, you know, that purse must soften the blow a little bit. And honestly, like the horses don't know the difference. It's just Doug and I and poor Courtney and the rest of our staff. So Jess, though, what do you think of arena eventing? Because I feel like I hear 
more and more of these types of events like coming online and are, are they like growing in popularity or like what's the the deal I, think, I guess I think it's great because that way the community gets to you know experience eventing for what it is without mm-hmm. sitting through four days because no one I mean like dressage is exciting but it's kind of like four phases of golf you know four days of golf by the fourth day you're kind of tired of seeing it so at least you can get the, you know, the, get the crowd and get the community around it where there's like, okay, look, that's eventing. That's really exciting. And then once they kind of experience it, maybe then they can get the knowledge about it because I think it's hard for people to understand exactly what's going on, like three different phases that keep going on. So I think it's great. And I think it's exciting and they keep doing it a little bit different. I mean, I did it years ago at the Royal and that was awesome in Canada they did that and it was in the middle of like a hockey stadium, which that event is unbelievable to start with, but wow, it's in the middle of Toronto. It's beautiful. So it started there and it's just a great way and to see eventing and say, okay, look, like it's almost like a demo of eventing to kind of mm-hmm. say, look, here's the exciting phase. It's cross country and it's not 12 minutes long without having to understand it. It's more, you know, three minutes long mm-hmm. and then you can have. 20, 30 people go do it. So Devin was a huge hit and they brought that to the hunter jumpers and that was awesome. So I'm excited. I think it's, I think it's really good for our sport, even though main, most people are like, oh, well, I'm not quite sure. I think it's changing the sport. I think it's just another avenue of the sport with it still being there. I mean, you still have horse shows where you go do all three phases and this is just something a little added extra interest and for the money too. You're like, that's great. Yeah. I like that perspective. This segment is presented by TRM, Europe's largest manufacturer of nutritional feeds, supplements, and general healthcare products for horses available at Greenhawk. Jess, you're a lot nicer than our next uh, subject of news. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No. What do you Uh, have? I'm scared. (laughs) So um, this woman I kind of love her secretly, but she's like the (laughs) ultimate curmudgeonly, like grumpy neighbor. Um, So there's a woman, her name is Linda Watson. She lives in Kirtling, which is a small village um, in Cambridgeshire, just outside Newmarket. So the most British thing ever. Um, So Linda is real, real peeved. Like she's really ticked off. The reason that she's really ticked off is because she wanted to build a house on her land. Um, she wanted to, well, she wanted to use a plot on her land to build a house, but she was turned down by her town council. She Wait, currently has. Me, she can't build the house on her own land. Correct. Okay. Oh. Like, was um, she like against code kind of thing? It's. It says her small holding. On the edge of the village. So it's her property. um, And she's not allowed to build a house. What she currently has on her property is she actually runs um, like a sport horse rehabilitation center. She's got a bunch of horses on her property. uh, So she's, you know, she's a, she's a regular horse owner. She, you know, has her horses at home. She helps, you know, other people rehab some of her horses apparently. Um, So Kirtling is, absolutely beautiful like it's it's such a it's a picture just an idyllic english countryside village and that's that's curtling it's very beautiful but she's um very ticked off at her neighbors who she says um are 
up their own asses is her, her words. Um, and she's ticked off at them because they, she can't build the house on her land. And then she kind of goes off on a tirade. So she says that um, one of her neighbors was shooting an air rifle at a pigeon and it spooked her horses and all of her horses panicked. And then uh, she, one of apparently another one of her neighbors landed their helicopter by one of her paddocks and terrified her horses. So these neighbors are very well to do. They have helicopters. So she's up against some rich folk. Um, And so what she did was she has invited travelers to come stay on her property for free. And the only thing that they have to do is quote unquote ruin her land. So she's having these people come stay on her property to completely ruin like completely ruin her her property and her home and her landscape just to to piss off all of her neighbors and to like bring down their property values yes just to tick off all of her neighbors oh my god this lady is like my she is like my personal hero yeah like personal hero i mean Um, how many times have you like been riding your horse and like some stupid hunter is like shooting their stupid gun and your horse is like you know, piaffing in the ring. Like I have shouted into the trees, like so many terrible things that I, my mother would smack me for saying. And, you know, at these hunters and like, she's, I can totally understand where she's coming from with like obnoxious rich neighbors that like only kind of, you know, care about themselves and like, won't let her do what she wants to do. Like she's such a badass. So she's, all of these people are coming to uh, stay at her house. Um, she's gotten a ton of responses. And really? um, yeah, she just is like, have at it. Just piss off my neighbors. That's the one thing that you you have to do while you're here. So oh yeah, good for her. <laughs> I love it. Um, uh, well, speaking of neighbors, Justine, uh, we could be neighbors with a pirate, right? <laughs> I mean, if you've got like two point nine million dollars, but oh. all right. So, uh, me out. spoiler: Johnny Depp is selling his Kentucky mansion slash horse farm, and uh, so he's owned it for a little while. He actually owned it in the '90s and then sold it and bought it back. But it's a six thousand square foot brick house, kind of modest looking for what you would expect for a celebrity of his status. But it also has three barns and a guest house on the property. It's real close to a racetrack uh, in Kentucky. It's beautiful. We'll definitely share the link in our show notes so you guys can Google at all the pictures. But uh, I think it's uh, pretty con- like public knowledge that Johnny Depp's had some financial trouble recently. And so he's selling this property for $2.9 million. It's funny because he owns this property, but he's never had horses on it. Like, why would you Ugh, buy such a waste? I know. That's so obnoxious. It has three full size, like, you know, functioning barns on the property, but he's never, ever had horses on it. I so will sleep in one of his horse stalls. That's I know. Funny. Right. So, yeah. So he bought it for $950,000 in uh, 1995 and then sold it for a million in 2001 and then bought it back in 2005, which is sort of interesting. So he must have really liked it. But did you know that he was born in Kentucky? I didn't know that, that he's from Kentucky. Also, yeah. I feel like that's not it, that much money for, like, a real celebrity. 
I know a million dollars, probably like pocket change. Like that's like they found lint in their pocket and also a million dollars. Right. I mean, and when you look at it, like the property looks pretty modest for a celebrity home. So maybe it was like, you know, Johnny Depp going back to his roots kind of thing. And this like little podunk kind of place in Kentucky, but it's beautiful and has all the land of a horse farm. But, uh, but anyways, he's unloading it and it's pretty. And if I had $2.9 million, I would buy it. Does your saddle pad work as hard as you do? With EcoGold's collection of breathable pads and half pads, you can be confident that your pad is putting in just as much work as you are. Shop now at ecogold.ca. That's E-C-O-G-O-L-D dot C-A. So I, we were having this discussion the other day. I am a tall boot person. Are you guys tall boot people or paddock boot people with chaps? Mm. And which are your favorites? Uh, personally, I, I mean, obviously I wear tall boots to compete. Um, I think that goes to that question, but as far as at home, uh, yeah, I like am every day, like every yeah, day, every day. I'm a, I'm a short, I'm a shorty girl. I'm a booty girl. Uh, like I have the Blundstone paddock boots and I pretty much refuse to wear anything else. I'm absolutely obsessed with my Blundstones. Uh, they have my first pair lasted me for uh two years of completely abusing them wearing them for you know like at least 10 hours a day uh I never ever cleaned them I never polished them I never gave them any sort of attention or love at all and they lasted for two years and actually they could have lasted a lot longer there was nothing wrong with them they just looked so homeless that I decided to buy a new one um so (laughs) I'm obsessed with the blendstones can't recommend them enough also it's one of those things too where um you can find them on normal like civilian shoe websites like zappos and other places um like you those can? are the, yeah, which is nuts. Those are the people that um, wear, you know, kind of like equestrian chic stuff, but they're actually proper paddock. Like they were not designed for the average person. They were definitely designed for working people that are outside all day. Um, and they're, if you have like a little bit of a wider foot, I think that they're supposed to be good for wide feet. Um, I just find that they fit me really well. And I love them and I, we are not sponsored by them. So this is just a very honest review. Justine, do you, do you like tall boots? Do you wear tall boots? I do like tall boots. Uh, and I'm, I'm a tall person with a long leg. So I'm always someone who has to like usually buy a custom pair to fit correctly or else they look short and I just look stupid and awkward, but I just got, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I've had this pair of Treadstep Da Vinci boots for a little while now, and they're probably my favorite tall boot pair I've ever had in my life. And I don't know. Do, I think I think Treadstep still makes makes Da Vinci, right? Because I know they have the Donatello model too. And I did I, like I feel like my Da Vinci's are getting kind of old, so I don't know if they still make them. But they just they once they stretched out, they just fit me perfectly. And I love them so much and I could wear them all day at a horse show and never feel like ouchy or sore from wearing them all day. And they're just, they're just wonderful. They're so easy to wear and I feel like they look nice and they're, and what I like about them is they're durable too. Like so far they've really held up at just being in the barn and being at horse shows all the time. So I couldn't really recommend them more. 
What about you, Jess? So I have, well, I'm a tall boot because I can never find, well, I can't find anything that fits, honestly. And, and I am picky. I understand that. I know I'm like Why? a What's little bit of a prima feet? donna. <laughs> Nothing. Well, I wear a six and a half. They're tiny. Wait, what? Are you like an elf? Who? What? Why are, you, why are your feet so small? Were they bound when you were a child? Oh, my dad. That's not funny because my dad said, oh, we bound your feet as a child. I was that like, is did you really? I like your so dad. No, apparently, apparently they didn't. But I don't know. I have tiny little feet. And like, so I have. I mean, I'm not that short. I'm like five four on a good day, but you're pretty short. Um, the, <laughs> you're little. <laughs> okay, I don't look short. Let's go with that. I don't look <laughs> short. <laughs> so, but I got these little bitty feet, and they're narrow, and nothing fits. And then my calves, like they're normal. I think. Well, I think I'm normal. I think that's the whole problem. So then, all my talk. <laughs> <laughs> my half chaps fall down. Like it doesn't matter. I can own them for two months and they fall down. So probably like eight, 10 years ago, I had to wear full, I have to wear uh, tall boots every day. So I, um, I found a couple different pairs, but Mundy all, uh, sponsored actually the Canadian team and we all got a pair and then I became obsessed with them and got a pair of like everyday boots and they're so comfortable but they, and they do last. So that's like my thing, but you want to know the trick that they did that everybody I've told that like wears tall boots or whatever else, they put a patch on the inside of the boots, which is what I loved. So then I just replaced the patch. So I go through the patch like every six months, eight months. And then I like it insider tip. So then I take it to the leather shoe repair guy or whatever, and they just put on a new patch. And so it's not going through my boot because my soles don't wear out. My zippers rarely break. It's more, I just wear through the leather. So, um, yeah, fun tip. So I just replaced that. So everybody that's like, I see, and they're like, oh, I'm wearing through. I'm like, oh, just go get your like leather person to do a patch on the inside. And Doug wears more on like the inside. Like I wear right in the middle of my calf. He wears more towards his, I guess, like because he's so tall, he wears more towards the front of his calf. So like we actually like almost a shin. So we Ooh. put his patch inside, like even further up, but it works. One of the things that I want to talk about today and I want to get everybody's take on is because we just want to pile more opinions on this pile of opinions. <laughs> right. So uh, the Katie Prudent interview with Chris Stafford that the transcription of that interview was originally, I believe posted on the Chronicle of the horse. Um, that conversation sparked so many responses and so many opinions and very high profile riders and professionals responded to that article, including McLean Ward, George Morris, Leslie Burr Howard, um, Callan Solomon was the rec- most recent professional. And then of course, a slew of amateurs responded as well because they felt that the conversation was directed towards them and it was uh, derogatory towards their uh, presence in the sport. So I want to just talk about this first. I will just touch on a few quotes from the conversation, but please, as with everything, read the whole article no, like just take five minutes and read the whole thing. I, I feel that some of the discussion that has happened has 
just been from people that maybe didn't read the entire thing because it's been a little bit taken out of context. So we're going to try to not do that here. We're going to try to stay grounded in what the context of the conversation was. Uh, but I'm just going to take a few snippets um, just for people that maybe are not familiar, a few of the snippets that elicited some responses. So again, this is uh, Show Jumping's Katie Prudent. Uh, this is about the current state of show jumping, although I think we can relate this to other disciplines as well. Uh, so here we go. Uh, so one of her comments early on is that um, the jumps are so small at the lower levels um, of the hunters and jumpers and equitation and have gotten lower over time. So she says, uh, quote unquote, for example, in America now in competition, there are levels of competition that start at 80 centimeters. I'm thinking of jumpers, not hunters. They start at the lowest level. As George Morris would say, it's practically subterranean and it's true. When I was a kid, you did junior hunters and that was three foot six inches, which is a little more than a meter. And if you wanted to do jumpers, you did the junior jumpers, but there was not low children's jumpers, children's jumpers, modified children's jumpers, low junior jumpers. This, the way it has been dummied down in today's world, it's amazing that anyone can ride at all. The sport has become for the fearful, talentless amateur. That's what the sport has been dummied down to. Um, I'm just going to read a couple more here. Uh, so later in the conversation, she says, the sport makes me sick nowadays. And in America, what's very sad is that we're not producing a ton of great riders. We have all the Irish boys coming over here and riding all the horses and getting all the owners because we're just producing a bunch of weak amateurs. Uh, as far as kind of how did, does she feel that we got here in her opinion? Katie says, if you had an amateur rider or a junior rider, you got on a, she was talking about in the past. So in the past, if you had an amateur rider or a junior rider, you got on a plane and went to Europe to find a horse for about a decade. It was like that. I think in the beginning it was because the prices were so good. And as it evolved, it became clear that bad amateur riders who had a ton of money could buy really good horses and compete with the professionals. I think over time, especially in America, I'm not even going to say the rest of the world, even though I have to say the rest of the world is catching up now. Rich parents saw a way to buy their children's success. One thing led to another, and now we're in a terrible place. So, guys, um, I know that there have been a bunch of responses, and we'll kind of go into some of the various writers' responses. But just a little bit off the bat, um, Jess, maybe maybe you want to kind of get us started on some perspectives on this before we sort of hash out some of the other writers' responses. Yeah, I mean, I think there were so many different um, responses from a lot of different professionals, and I think they all had really good points. But I think also, I think it's just kind of how the sports evolved. Like so many people, you know, there are a lot of eventers that are like this and a lot of old school eventers that are like, you know, back in the good old days was a comment they used to always say. And I think the sports kind of evolved to like what people can do. And I think they're trying, you know, she's saying basically all the elitist, um, or what I took it as, and like my opinion was that Katie was saying all the elitists and it's become just these rich amateurs, like young rider people that go and do the Grand Prix and they show up, they ride their horses and they don't, they're not tough anymore. They're worried about getting their nails done and not worried about when she was growing up, you had to stay in the barn and she loved riding. And I think it's, I think it's that, but I think there's I think the young, the young riders that are there do love this sport. And I think they do work their 
butts off to try really hard and to get up there. And just because they have some money to get there is not a bad thing. And I think that dumbing it down is just what the sports come to be. And, you know, like with the eventing, there's a lot of long format people out there that are like, we should have never left the long format. We need to do that. And honestly, I think the sport evolved that we didn't have to have it. And I'm probably going to get yelled at for that. But honestly, I came to eventing late. I grew up as a hunter jumper rider and I've ridden around Rolex several times. And to be honest, I've actually never been around a long format. Like I told Doug that the other day and he's like, excuse me, what? Like I've Hmm. never run steeplechase. And so, you know, at the time, like when I was riding, you know, when I had the horse going to Rolex for the first time, my coach actually was like, you need to go ride steeplechase horses because you never got that opportunity. So, and you never knew how to do that. So instead of taking my horse and doing that, I actually just did it on myself and like did on the steeplechase horses to learn about speed and everything that I needed to do and kind of went about it a little bit of a different way. But I think that's kind of how the jumpers is. It's now going about it at a different way. There's people, the horse prices have gone up and, um, I think McLean was the one that commented on it, but it basically like there were, there, it's just a different time. And I think that it's not fair to say, oh, we've been, it is dummy down, but I think it's not in a bad way, dummy down. It's different. Like the jumps are different. You need a different type of horse than you did back then. And so I think a lot of her stuff has been taken out of context, but I think a lot of her points are, I mean, I kind of a bit mixed because honestly, she's saying she wanted things to be where they're tough and they're gritty and everything else, but they found a way to not have to do that. So do you really call it unfair to them? No, like it's just what it is. And Mm -hmm. they're, they're good riders. I mean, you can't second guess that, like all the people coming up. And I think that there are people coming up in this show jump world and the event world that maybe they didn't take the same path to get there as some of the more successful ones, but I think that they are good riders and they can ride the more difficult horses. So I think it's, I think it's going to be interesting, but I think, I think it was just a little bit of a harsh article and I don't know if it was just taken out of context or, you know, I think it's for some reason caused a lot of response and it's Mm -hmm. very interesting because I don't think she meant for it to cause this much response or maybe she did. And now we're all talking about it. Right. And, for me as an amateur rider and someone who's grown up and known Katie Prudent's name, basically my whole career. Yeah. She, she is someone you think of and respect for everything that she's done for the sport. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, but you know, and she comes off like very blunt, you know, like very clearly, like she's been there, done that. She's, she can say what she wants now and more power to her for that. You know, like let her, let her say what she wants to say. That said, uh, kind of what you're saying, Jess, like as the sport evolves, more people are going to get involved. And isn't that part of the whole, the whole growth of anything? Like we want more people yeah. to know what we're doing. And in order for the sport to grow at all and for more stu- superstars to be found and, and continue to change the sport and grow it, you're going to grow the bottom levels of the sport too. Mm-hmm. So 
I don't understand what's wrong with there being more amateurs who go into the sport and who cares if they're super rich and can go buy a horse in Europe and ride it for a couple of years and then move on to something else. Like, how does that affect anyone else? It's sort of like any argument, like you do it because you want to do it and you make your own goals and how that affects. I don't think that changes the sport for anybody else. Uh, Like when I read when I read her piece, it, like I almost, it felt like Trumpish, and that she was just like going around and going like, <laughs> loser, 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 loser. And it was like, come on, like, what does that do for anybody or for the sport? So I really liked McLean Ward's response, but I always, I just always like him. And I think he, mm-hmm. I just think he's respectful and, and had a really good response talking about yeah the sports evolve that doesn't mean that riders today are less talented than they were before it just means that their skills are different because the sport is different i just want to um quickly read mclean's response one of the parts that stood out to me just so um all of you listening at home, if you don't have these articles pulled up in front of you, which of course you won't, um, you can just be a little bit familiar with what his response was because I thought it was very well written. Uh, so this is just one quote from his his longer and he article. Was, and real quick, he was one of the first to respond to yeah. the right. article. I think. Yeah, right. and she mentioned him um, and kind of gave him props as somebody that had done it the right way in her article. And so he responded. And the big thing I think of his article is kind of like, oh, you know, I really respect Katie and like, thanks, you know, thanks for saying that, Katie but hold my drink for a second. And then he kind of goes into it. Um, So one of the things he says is the reality, and this is something that Katie touches on is whether people from that financial background, which AKA extremely wealthy will sustain that level of intensity. But once they reach certain goals in the sport, maybe it isn't necessary for them to where for someone like myself or BZ, he means BZ Madden or Kent, he means Kent Farrington, It's how we make a living. So there has to be sustained intensity. That doesn't mean that those young riders or anybody from that or anybody from that financial situation can't be of the same level, not only for a certain point of time, a certain point in time, excuse me, but for as long as they desire to be. So I think that's a little bit unfair. And I think that's such a that's such an interesting uh, response because Basically, he's saying if if rich riders um, want to make it to the top of the sport and be a flash in the pan, so what? Because they don't have to make a living doing it. So I think that that's a really interesting perspective. And it's kind of, I think, what you guys are saying, too, where it's like, uh, it is what it is. So why does it matter? Well, and I think it's just not what Katie was brought up. It's not how Katie was brought up. And so she was basically talking about how she brought up and she was always tough and she was tough on a rider. She is tough on a rider. I've seen her coach a ton and she's a amazing teacher and very, very well respected. Like she is one of the greatest teachers. And so I think that's just what she's been taught. And so when you get these people in that, their goal is just to, you know, she's used to people, I think, with their goal being what Doug and I's goal is, you know, to bake it to the top of the sport, sustain it. What McLean's talking about, like all these people, but that's our living as well. And that's what Katie's living is. And so I think it's just an unfamiliar situation. And I think that's the hardest for people to understand. Why would somebody do that? If they just, you know, for somebody's goal to be like, look, I just want to go to the Olympics once Mm -hmm. and that's all I want to do. Like, 
that's not our goals. But at the same time, like we also need to make a living. Like that's part of our goal is to have a whole string of horses that you hope to God, every one of them makes it to the Olympics or one of the games. But right. in reality, we have to have probably 28 horses to hope that five of them make it. I mean, hope five of them make it is probably still a stretch on what's going to, you know, you just have to have a huge string to whittle it down and you get these people that can just buy them. And that's an unfamiliar right. situation that I think so many people are like, and we're getting that in eventing as well. Like you get the people that will go buy the made two, three star, four star horses, go up the levels, ride, try to get on a team that way. Whereas we buy them as babies and we have to put our blood and guts into them. Not any more or any less than the people that paid for them. It just takes us longer because we financially can't do it the other way. Mm -hmm. And I don't think you should judge people. I think it's just what their opportunity is. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's the hardest thing for people to understand is the difference and the change of what one, the sport's evolving to be, and that it is a different sport than what it was years ago. And also that there's so many more opportunity, different opportunities, whether it's not that they're good or bad. It's just not what maybe what we could do. Like say Justine had her $2.9 million. Maybe she doesn't want Johnny <laughs> Depp's. Maybe she doesn't want Johnny Depp's house. Maybe she wants to go to the Olympics, you know, and I think she'd probably just need once. a little bit more money. Just once. Just once. Just once. And she probably needs a little bit more money than that. But <laughs> I think she could do it. I, I, you know, in Katie's defense, I don't think that she was really in her heart of hearts talking to yeah. the amateurs that are, you know, riding after work and doing the lower levels and balancing family and work and horses and want to just go, you know, do the, you know, the meter tens. And um, I don't think that she was talking to them, but kind of regardless, a lot of amateurs took it that way and it was demoralizing yeah. for them. And it was really difficult to read those words from such a highly respected figure in the sport. And but but I totally get that. I totally, cause I, I got, you know, when I read it to a lot of people are like, Oh, she's not talking about the the average amateur, but so say you're the rich amateur who has boatloads of money to do whatever you want. Why? Like, I never thought I would ever stick up for somebody like that, but, <laughs> but who cares? Who cares? You know, that person has that money to do what they want with it. And if they can afford the training and afford the nice horse, then it makes yeah beating them that much better. And that's all it should be. You know, like, why are we making such a big deal out of this? But you do know? you think I, that the, the sport should change to be, to accommodate those people? That's, that's, I think the bigger question she's that she's, about. that she's getting yeah. at is because it's the reality and it, the reality of life is that there are always going to be people that have more opportunity than you do, but should so many the sport, so many sports accommodate that, you know, I, it sh that's, I think that's the bigger, the bigger question. Um, one I of the things it's changing one way or another, you know, whether it's for that, but I think it's just changing. I think it, it, it evolves with time. Everything does. One so of the things that, think that Leslie Burr Howard uh, in her response mentions is, uh, breakaway cups in show jumping, um, which she, she writes that may be surprising to some, uh, but Basically, what these cups do is if a rider misses a distance terribly, there is much less of a chance for the rider to get hurt. So uh, 
basically that's one one thing that's been done to kind of accommodate uh, what I guess the you know the fearful talentless amateur in the ring is is breakaway cups which didn't used to exist so that's yeah but that's a two-sided coin because then it's th- that's a safety measure that is there for everybody that's if McLean misses or which he doesn't obviously but you know what I'm saying um that that benefits anybody or a horse misreads a jump yeah, yeah every professional, professional misses from time misses. to time I've been t- I go to a lot of horse shows and you see it I mean it happens so at the same time you don't you you certainly don't want to bash safety measures in any sport yeah. ever, I, I, you know, I don't think any of, any well, of that's what that. safety measures. A lot of this has come with technology They, you know, it's not saying they wouldn't have used breakaway cups back then. They just didn't even know that it could exist. Yeah. But I think it was a so, tough article. There are a lot of responses. Everybody was, should go check this out. We will link some of those in the show notes. I think at the end of the day, you know, we talk so often about growing this sport and, you have to have two things to grow the sport and it's people and it's money. And when you take a baseball bat to both of those people are not going to like that and people are going to get upset. And so this elicited a lot of responses. So we just wanted to kind of touch touch on it. And we did more opinionated opinions. Yeah. Everybody read it. I think that the responses were, very interesting. I think the whole thing was an interesting topic. I don't know if it was supposed to be exploded this much, but we had to talk about it because there were some really good responses from some well, well respected people. So it was exciting. So I'm glad we uh, can link it up and I hope you guys actually read it and look at it. All right. So Jess, we missed you last episode, but why don't you fill us in where you were and why you couldn't be with us on the show? Yeah, it sucks. Um, I missed you guys, but I heard you had a great guest and she sounded awesome. So that was fun. Uh, But I missed it for a pretty good reason. We went out to, Doug and I went out to the Purina Research Farm in Gray Summit, Missouri. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was pretty interesting. We'd never been out there and they invited us to come see what the research was. And my minor is in, or my major is animal science then with an equine nutrition minor. So I was like, this is all fun. Like, let's go do that. And I didn't understand how much research went into what Purina does to do to their feed. Cause it's different. I didn't know this, that Purina dog and cat is different from the horse feed. So we went to the horse feed place and met with some nutritionists and like had, there was a big convention seminar type thing. One of the biggest things they talked about is what they said has come up in a bunch of topics, everything in the last two years is ulcers and gastric ulcers in horses. Oh my God. So I have I, so much personal experience that. with this. Oh, ulcers. And they said everybody has. So it was really interesting the amount of data and research that we learned about. I mean, we knew a little bit about ulcers, but not a ton. And still thinking there's about a thousand things more, but Mm -hmm. they kind of went through some points of what you should look for. And then they actually went a step further and said, yes, there is the ulcer guard, gastro guard treatment and everything else. But they, in the last, however long, I'm not sure months, years, whatever, have decided to develop a product. It's called Outlast. And it is basically designed to help with gastric comfort and support. 
So even if your horse is not got ulcers, but you think they're going to be prone to it with gastric discomfort and it's Mm -hmm. affecting the health and the attitude of the performance, because they said up to almost 90% of active horses can experience gastric discomfort and that can affect their performance. So that was interesting. We got to see, they did palatability testings and got to see the horses and it was interesting, the form. So they developed this new product called Outlast that we got to see that. And it's actually a supplement, um, pelleted supplement that you can get. And it's also now in two feeds. So we got to see that. So Jess, I have a lot of personal experience with equine gastric ulcers and I've tried a lot of different products. I've spent a lot of money treating them. Uh, so this to me sounds like a really exciting development um, and potentially you know, a really easy to use, easy to feed product that could hold a lot more promise, um, especially for long-term maintenance. It seems if you just throw it in their feed and you're having to shove expensive golden paste down their you know, throats every day, that sounds pretty good to me. But can you just tell us a little bit how about how it operates and why um, they are so, you know, thinking that it's really going to work. Well, one, the testing they did, they actually did a ton of different gastric products, ulcer guard type products, not actually ulcer guard, but things that were like generic that said, okay, look, this mm-hmm. will kind of balance it out that they did it about palatability, whether the horses ate it, what their pH and their stomach looked like over time. They did a lot of field trials on it, and they basically found out that over a longer period of time, even feeding this, like as they had some people just go like at lunch, feed it to their horse, and within two hours, their horse, the stomach was actually, the pH was better. So that was interesting, and it's just a unique blend of ingredients that helps support like proper pH of the stomach. So that's what they're looking for when trying to help ulcers and prevent ulcers. So they basically just developed this feed that you can actually use as a supplement. It's a pelleted form and you get it, you feed it in like a coffee cup, basically. So it's not a ton. It's not like a full scoop of grain and you can put it on top of your grain or they actually came out with it to go in some grain of Ultium, one of their popular products, and then another one called Race Ready, which I haven't really used a bunch. So we're excited to try it on ours because a lot of ours ship a bunch. We talked about how crazy our horse's schedule is and everybody's in like a different country at a different point in time that I think it's going to be interesting because I think a lot of different formulas, you're either shoving it down their throat, which is great, like GastroGuard and Ulcergard is still perfect. Yeah, Gastrogard is great. Like we're not saying anything yeah. against Gastrogard, but no, this sounds more convenient. As a, as a daily maintenance type thing that you can just feed with your grain and you're just having to, and they said the horses like love it. So we've just started it. We've only been using it like what, a week or so. Oh, wow. But our, yeah. So our horses will eat it like as a treat. And so basically you can go like give them a handful and they're like, give it to them. And so they said that will help it. And it's, it's very interesting. The research that has gone into it, that I'm excited to see what it looks like, because I think it is a good way to actually in stressful situations, help your horse out. That sounds, yeah, that sounds a lot nicer than having to give them a paste every day. And 
Um, do you have like a price point on this? Because I know a lot of people are looking for a less expensive alternative to, you know, products like GastroGuard. Um, because the, let's face it, GastroGuard is expensive. Yeah, it's super expensive. How much is this going to cost, Jess? I think it comes in like a 40 pound bag. So it comes like you basically oh, buy wow. grain, but it's not. Yeah. So it comes in that. And I'm pretty sure it's like 40 bucks, 30, 40 bucks. What? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to have to do an update on this. Also, this is like Purina. There has no affiliation with us. Like just so podcast listeners do not think that we have any reason to be talking about this. Um, We are not paid by Purina. We don't have any sponsorship by them. Um, But we definitely need to circle back on this because I think a lot of horse owners are constantly looking for ways to handle gastric ulcers in their horses because it is so horrendously common and that is way more on budget for the average horse owner. So um, we'll next podcast, maybe we'll do an update on how, how you think it's working. Yeah, I'll let you know because we started probably 80% of our barn on it because we went awesome. to people and were like, do you want this? And so we we're like, good, we'll just use it as a top dressing. And so I'll let you know because we started some that we were already knowing that they were stressful. So we were starting, we have horses that we already give gastric you know, gastric guard or ulcer guard too. So they get like a quarter or half a tube, depending on what they're traveling and all this. But they also said that this will help put some weight on and like keep them eating, obviously, because they're same with the discomfort and that ulcers. So it'll be interesting to see what a lot of our other younger horses that maybe haven't developed ulcers, see how in six months, what they're doing. So I'll keep you updated for sure. And then Justine, just super quickly, um, because I know a lot of people were really interested in your horse's case with anhydrosis. Um, just give yeah. us a brief update on how he's doing. Cause I think he started sweating, right? Yeah, he did. He started sweating. Thanks so much for asking. Oh, thank God. Like when he finally started sweating, it was like, I, uh, Huge drink- relief. Yeah, oh my God. Yes. I like did this happy rain dance and then I drank <laughs> all of the rest of the Guinness in the fridge that I had left for him. <laughs> but, um, but basically the acupuncture is what is what helped him out of all wow, the things really? I did. Yeah. I think it was that. And then I, I did the equa winter patches, uh, who it, it's sort of like a bro science that I'm not really sure it works. And so many vets <laughs> told me it was like, there's nothing in it that can help him. It's just like, saline solution or something but i swear to god it i think it did something and uh he's doing all right he's not like a hundred percent yet but he's sweating better he's still got like all these all the skin stuff which i think happened when he stopped sweating and like his whole body changed from it and he's like starting to come back out of it now so we're not like a hundred percent yet but he sweats now and uh now he's gonna stand in a concrete box for the next couple of days and weather oh, out a hurricane, but, um, but he's doing good. So the poor horse least. needs a break. I feel like he's been through a lot, of, a lot of crap. Did you know that your first issue of heels down magazine is completely free? Download this interactive digital magazine now for insider knowledge from top riders around the globe, training tips and expert guidance on all things horses. Visit heelsdownmag.com for more info. Caroline, are we gonna do Rose and Thorn again? Okay, we'll do a yeah, we'll do a quick Rose and Thorn. Um, so we do Rose and Thorn every time, and uh, it's the Rose is the thing that you're most looking forward to, the best thing that's happened to you, and Thorn is the biggest pain in your butt. 
Justine, I'm going to guess that your thorn has something to do with the hurricane. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> that time. could be her rose because that's her job, too. It is my job. So I'm about to like job security work every hour of every day <laughs> until the storm is gone. And then even then we'll see like what's left and I'll probably still be working. Cause I'm a newspaper reporter just to remind everybody. Um, but yeah, so it, this is sort of like, you know, the super bowl of reporting, but, uh, it's sort so it's sort of like a rose and a thorn. We'll use that as that, like I'm pumped to you work really that. hard. And then I'm also scared because I don't want my house to blow away. Yeah, really, really hoping you guys all stay safe. Like, cannot yes. emphasize that enough. Um, Jess, what about you? So my rose would have to be that I'm going to Blenheim next week to watch Doug compete. So yay! Fingers crossed. Everybody cheer for us. We're excited. So Pony got there safely. Doug got there safely. Courtney got there safely. So that would be my rose. And then my thorn would be that. Um, probably this hurricane, just making sure we're not sure it's, um, for all the listeners, we actually recorded this early, so we don't know what the path of the hurricane is going to take. So we're all not quite sure what's happening right now. So I know that you guys are going to hear this afterwards, but we don't know if it's going to hit middle of Florida or if it's going to hit the Carolina coast. So right now we're kind of just waiting it. So I guess that would be my thorn for this week. Cause it's kind of just sticking mm-hmm. a little poking at me. So yeah. what about you, Caroline? Uh, my rose is that, um, we, well, not really. We, my boyfriend, um, adopted two kittens this week and they're the most precious baby angels I've ever seen in my life. They're Aww. so cute. One has, we, we pulled them out of a high kill shelter, um, in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Uh, it was very, very difficult to walk in there. It was pretty traumatic. Uh, but we pulled them out. Um, one of them has an upper respiratory infection, so he's getting treated for that, but he's going to be okay. And they both just tested negative for, um, feline leukemia and feline AIDS. We're super relieved about that. So that's a huge rose. Also side note. I made my own yogurt this week. Like I made homemade yogurt. What? Wow. So I'm telling I, you, you've been hanging out with Justine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm telling you. <laughs> like I'm, I'm waiting for like, Hey, guess what? I made something. No, like uh, cooking, like baking cookies count. Like I hung out with Justine. You made yogurt. <laughs> I did. It was so, I was, I was unsure of how it was going to turn out, but, um, I made the Noosa, do you know, like Noosa yogurt? It's delicious. So I made that recipe. I don't know what that is. I don't know either. It's so, oh my gosh, it's so good. And my yogurt turned out really well. So I was really excited. And I just, for about half an hour, I rode this wave of, I'm the most amazing woman in the world. I made homemade yogurt. Hear me roar. Like, (laughs) And so I was so excited that my yogurt turned out. So those were two roses. Uh, I don't really have a thorn. My week was pretty good. Um, my armpits are kind of sweaty right now. I guess that's probably my thorn. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That's my thorn. I think that's gross. <laughs> <laughs> hey, at least it's not that. Can I change my thorn to listening to that? Because that's kind of <laughs> gross. <laughs> I mean, I went to the gym earlier today and I didn't have time to shower. So... I'm just, yeah, I'm going to go give my dog a real big hug. She's going to love it. 
Um, but anyway, uh, so if you want to hear more from us and about our sweaty armpits, uh, check out Heels Down Magazine. It's an interactive digital magazine on your phone or tablet, so you can take it anywhere. You can download it on iTunes or Google Play, or you can check our website out at heelsdownmag.com. Uh, also, if you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. We've had a few people um, encounter trouble when they went to uh, review and rate our podcast um, on iTunes. And so you just have to be signed into iTunes to be able to rate and review us. You can also leave us a review on Stitcher. Uh, and I actually found that leaving a review on Stitcher was really um, a lot like more user-friendly. Apparently, you just go in and you click your you know you click how many ever stars and then you leave a few words and there's no signing in process so if you want to do it that way do it that way um and we'll be releasing episodes of heels down happy hour on the second and last fridays of each month um and you can get the horse radio network app on your ios and android phone just search for horse radio network in the app store it's free and like all things in life that we love it's easy to use and again, it's free. We love free. So, guys, what are we cheersing to this week? Not sweaty armpits. Mm, no. Are you sure? I thought that was fun. <laughs> um, cheers to me having a safe flight. Cheers to safe flights. Don't cheers, cheers to cheers to safe hurricane. Cheers to cheers, cheers to, to just safety. Hurt. Just yeah. just lots of safety. So we're gonna cheers yeah, to safety. Cheers to safety. To safety. Cheers. Safety. Cheers. Cheers. Goodbye.